Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Plains Cree singer-songwriter Buffy St. Marie remains a creative force as she enters her ninth decade. The trailblazing artist is the subject of an American Masters profile now out on PBS. It includes one-on-one interviews with her and her contemporaries, including Joni Mitchell and Robbie Robertson, and other musicians like Jeremy Dutcher who look to her as an inspiration. We'll talk with Buffy St. Marie and have a few surprises. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Lakota Language Consortium is debuting the third edition of its new Lakota Dictionary. The third edition contains 20,000 more entries than its predecessor. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's Lee Strubinger reports. The previous Lakota Dictionary was published over a decade ago. Alex Firethunder is Oglala Lakota and the deputy director of the Lakota Language Consortium. He says Lakota is a living language and constantly evolves. We'll continue to develop new words for things that, you know, that we have in our life. There's a word for cell phone, there's a word for computer, there's a word for car. A lot of words that we consider old words were new words at one time, you know, a word for wagon, clocks, like those are all, you know, pretty old words that were coined by our ancestors. The language of the Ocheti Shikoan is an oral language, meaning it was never written down until the 1800s. Fire Thunder says other words and phrases had been around for generations and are only now being documented. I found this word in a, an old rabbit dance song. It says, Imachuka, and that's conjugated to the first person. So the, the third person would be Ichuka. It means to uh, have a taking or a liking for somebody. So, and it was in an old love song. Many children fluent in Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota were chided for speaking their language during the boarding school era. Most fluent speakers are now elders. Fire Thunder says he wants to see the dictionary get put to good use. My hope is that these words leave these pages. These words are here for everybody to access, but my hope is that they use them. Use them and speak them. Speak the life into them. The Lakota Language Consortium is also announcing new changes to its language app, which they hope will entice the younger generation to communicate with elders. For National Native News, I'm Lee Schrubinger in Rapid City. Tribes across Arizona are using indigenous knowledge and Western thought to address climate issues. Alex Gonzalez has more. From droughts now synonymous with the Southwest to flash floods, landscapes are changing. Keith Howard, a wildlife technician with the Navajo Nation's Climate Change Program, says building trust within the community is essential for the program's efforts to succeed. Finding a way to reach the people and communicate with them in respect to our traditional way of learning and our traditional ways of understanding how the world works is one of the biggest obstacles. Howard says language barriers make it difficult to translate some climate-related concepts into indigenous languages, which can be especially challenging for community elders. Despite the difficulties, Howard says progress is being made. According to an international assessment of climate change released last year, indigenous communities are among the most susceptible to the effects of a warming climate. Howard points out that most tribal communities depend on a healthy environment for survival. He adds lack of infrastructure on the Navajo Nation, compounded with the effects they're already seeing, have made it more difficult to adapt. One of our 
struggles is finding resources, funding opportunities to address some of these issues to help mitigate the effects of climate change. Howard says that includes money for restoration projects to replace native vegetation and keep streams flowing. In the meantime, he says the Navajo Nation does its best to address climate-related issues and help the community adapt to the rate of change. That was Alex Gonzalez reporting. New Mexico's Public Education Department has announced a new tutoring program that expands free tutoring for math, reading, and science. It focuses on pre-K to 8th grade for Title I schools and tribally controlled schools. It's being offered virtually before, after, and during school. Families can sign their children up for 20 hours of tutoring. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. You've probably seen those car ads, low price, low payments, but when you get to the dealer, there could be a catch. If a dealer isn't honest when it comes to its car ads, tell the Federal Trade Commission at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. Make sure your holiday checklist includes avoiding the latest holiday scams. Scammers count on you being too busy and distracted to pay attention, so visit aarp.org slash holiday scams to get up-to-date tips on the latest scams. AARP supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Buffy St. Marie is the definition of a trailblazer. As the bold songwriter and folk musician on fire in the 1960s and 70s, she told it like it was. She commented on discrimination, violence and war, politics, and indigenous issues, and her music was even blacklisted for a short time in the U.S. She used the spotlight to share with the world the status of indigenous communities and dismantle as many Native stereotypes as she could. Buffy is an Academy Award winner, a multi-Juno Award winner, and a dear friend of Big Bird and everyone else on Sesame Street. And she's still sharing her music, art, and wisdom with the world. She's inspired many of today's indigenous musicians. The PBS series American Masters now offers a portrait of her genius and her many accomplishments. In this special pre-recorded show, we're talking with Buffy St. Marie about what's new and the latest in her life. And without further ado, please let me honor and welcome our guest today, Buffy St. Marie, Cree songwriter, musician, and activist. She's speaking with us from her home studio in Hawaii. Buffy, welcome back to Native America Calling. It's so great to have you on the show again. Hey, Sean. Hi, everybody. That was very nice words you said. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's a script, you know. I got to can't take your training wheels off quite yet but well Buffy it's just that's a, a really beautiful studio you have there and I see you've got some some new children's books on, uh, in the background your guitars all your gear so is that where you uh you work there every day and and, and create and produce still I, I work here when I feel like it that's the key to me I do it when it's fun <laughs> I try not to turn it into work <laughs> Well, that's definitely the attitude for sure. Well, Buffy, there's just so much to talk about. This is so cool and exciting. But uh, first up, this this documentary that's come out, uh, it's been produced, and it's all about your life. And tell us more about it. 
Oh, well, it was uh, it was directed by Madison Thomas, who's half indigenous, half non. And the writer is Andrea Warner. And Andrea Warner is the person who actually, she was the second biographer who went to my manager and, and said uh, that she wanted to write a, the story of my life. <laughs> and I asked my manager, well, who is it who wants to do a biography? He said, Andrea Warner. And I said, just say yes. Because we had done a little interview, kind of like what you and I are doing today, Sean, and neither one of us wanted to get off the phone. So Andrea is the writer, Madison Thomas is the director. And we had two production companies, White Pine, who were a major Canadian um, film production company, and Eagle Vision, who are an indigenous group from Manitoba, who've been making great, great movies for quite a while. So I, I really lucked out, <laughs> had good people. I had a chance to watch it yesterday and I learned so much. Oh, I mean, I've, I've always been pretty familiar with your career and, and followed mm -hmm. your, your music, but there were just so many new insights. And well, I think what really struck me more than anything else, Buffy, is, is how long you have been in the industry going back to the early 60s. And, and you've never wavered. You've never changed. And I, I think, you know, nowadays... There's so many people and they talk about decolonization and, and they talk about the importance of, of native culture and pride. But Buffy, you were singing and, and stating that message long before it was cool. I mean, you were really, really such a pioneer and so many years ahead of your time. And, and where did that strength and that courage and that vision, where do you think it comes from? Just being interested, I think. I just really, really wanted to know. Like when I was a little kid, I was told two things. I was told, number one, you'll, you can't be a musician because you can't read European notation, which of course is the other side of the brain from a naturally gifted musician. And I was shunned and shamed in music classes. They told me I couldn't ever be a musician. And I'd go home and I'd play fake Tchaikovsky. <laughs> <laughs> and they also told me I couldn't be indigenous because there aren't any more Indians. You know, we have banished or something. I was raised in Maine and Massachusetts. So uh, I think knowing those two things as a kid, let me know that sometimes the world is wrong or adults are wrong or the authorities are wrong. Or I think I've got it quite early in my head that sometimes people aren't always correct. And I became a teacher. I, I went to the University of Massachusetts. I got a degree in Oriental philosophy and religion. I thought I was going to be a philosophy professor. And I also got a teaching degree and I practiced taught grade one. So when I was first starting out, I went into this vacuum of Greenwich Village where, you know, it was like preppy guys singing Michael Row the Boat Ashore and Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley, you know, the American songbook, folk music, Woody Guthrie songs. Bob Dylan was singing Woody Guthrie songs, you know, Joan Baez, people like that. But I came with this whole other um, experience and background and I was singing now that the Buffalo's gone and Universal Soldier and um, Codine and songs that were really didn't come from anywhere except personal experience. And uh, I think that I had the courage to get on a stage as because I was really a nobody just because of the content of the songs. And I really felt as though like something like Now That the Buffalo's Gone, this is in, in New York City. And Now That the Buffalo's Gone is about the building of Kinzoa Dam, which is in Upper New York State. And I was singing to, you know, quite wealthy um, people who, you know, thought they were really woke and hip, um, white people uh, mostly, uh, and they had never heard anything 
they had never heard anything about indigenous realities. They were living in the world where Indians don't exist. And when I say now that the Buffalo's gone, the attitude of audiences was the little Indian girl must be mistaken. She must be mistaken because there was really no, um, there was no, there was no such thing as indigeneity. They had, right. it had never crossed their screens. Their own professors had never been educated about us. So I came as a teacher, you know, as a first grade teacher, not <laughs> well, to Buffy. scold an audience, but I think it's because I did have that. And then I'm, number one, I had a sense of fun. And I enjoyed being an entertainer. I didn't want to be a lecturer. Well, I was going to ask um, you, I mean, how did, you know, here you were, your life seemed to follow this pretty standard trajectory of, of going to college and becoming mm -hmm. a school teacher. And then, boom, you just totally just threw the script out and, and you take off to New York City, early 1960s, pre-Beatnik era. And then, I mean, what was it that made you take that leap of faith and just completely just go a different direction with your life? Well, I loved making music and there was an opportunity uh, in, in the early 60s, you know, just after the beatniks and long before the hippies, uh, there was an opportunity for a you know, young person right out of college to get on a stage and play my songs that I'd been writing all my life. So it's not as though I suddenly changed and turned into an entertainer. No, I just never drank the Kool-Aid that said that you can't do that. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. And I wasn't going for a career. You know, I wasn't <laughs> raised like Paul Simon in a music business family where your uncle owns a music thing and your other uncle is a lawyer. I had never met a lawyer. I was really green. So I really didn't know any better. But like when I was growing up and being told that I couldn't be a musician, couldn't be an Indian, couldn't be this, you know, my mom said, you grow up and you go find out for yourself. And that's kind of what college was about. And when I was, oh, gee, maybe sophomore or junior I, in college, I went to Washington, D.C., and I ran into the National Indian Youth Council. Now, these guys are right up my alley, and they just love me. I, it was like Mel Tom, Clyde Warrior, Walter Funmaker, Thelma Stiffarm, you know, real pioneers. <laughs> now, these were young college people like me. They were getting law degrees. Some of them were getting their master's in law. So you put my experience with their experience and we had some things to talk about. So I had that going into the music business. I wasn't interested in being any of the other girls, singers or boy singers. I mean, I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in being effective. I thought it was so, so exciting to be learning from my peers. By that time, I was traveling to different reservations. When I was first starting to sing, I went to, you know, I got some airplane tickets to go to places like Stockholm and Paris. When I was done <laughs> with my concerts, I'd fly up and spend time with indigenous people in the north, you know, 30 degrees north of the Arctic Circle with Sami people. Or in Australia, I'd be with Aboriginal people just because I loved it. And it was so much fun. So it kind of got reflected into my music. And it was a special time when there were coffee houses. And that's mm. important because there's no alcohol. Uh, and uh, young people could attend. They put an end to that pretty fast. You know, by the end of the 60s, it, it was no longer coffee, talk, 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 listen, 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 and a little pot. You know, that's the way the early 60s were. By the end, it was alcohol and hard drugs. And um, coffee houses had gotten liquor licenses and the youth movement was effectively shut up. <laughs> Me too, <laughs> for different reasons. But um, 
yeah, that's kind of how I got into it, just because I was so curious myself. And I love telling other people. And I thought, if only they knew, they'd help. And in some cases, they did. Mm. Well, you know, those early days of, because you're talking about Mel Tom and Clyde Warrior, National Indian Youth Council. I mean, those were the early <laughs> leaders of, of what became the American Indian Movement later and activism. I mean, that was the very beginnings, the, the roots of that. And I mean, did you folks face a, a lot of resistance? Were, were people like, did, did people push back when you, when you went out there publicly and, and shared your messages through your music and, and through the comments that you would make? Was there pushback? It's funny, it almost not even got to the point of being pushback. It was all done under the table. Like um, being blacklisted and you know being under FBI surveillance. You know, I always correct people when they say, Buffy, you must hate the U.S. government for having blacklisted your career. The U.S. government doesn't blacklist careers. That would be legal. They would have to get an act of Congress for the government to do that. No, you have a, a Republican administration, a Democrat administration. They have cronies in the back room making phone calls to the network, to the media. You know, Floyd Westerman and Charlie Hill, they got this too. You know, they, like, we were never encouraged to play in Indian country much. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was real famous on the East Coast and the West Coast and the rest of the world, but not in the heartland. I wasn't okay. invited to play through, you know, Montana, the Dakotas, you know, Oklahoma, Wyoming. I, I was, I wasn't known there. We were kept quiet. Who was it who controlled the university concert series? Who was that? I'm not sure, but Buffy, we're going to have to take a break. Uh, just stay with us, folks, and we will be right back with Buffy St. Marie. Business leaders know the value of accurate, timely data about their potential customers. But getting data specific to Native Americans is hard to come by. Tribal officials and agencies like the Federal Reserve Bank are working on ways to collect and distribute meaningful information to improve economic development and other outcomes. We'll hear more about it on the next Native America Calling. Waka, prevent the spread of flu and other respiratory illnesses by rolling up your sleeve to get a flu shot. Mask up, sleeve up. Contact your local Indian healthcare provider for more information or visit www.medicare.gov slash coverage slash flu shots. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This is a special pre-recorded episode of Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're talking with the one and only Buffy St. Marie. She's a talented and influential artist. We're not taking live callers, but you're more than welcome to join the conversation online or on Facebook and Instagram. And we've got a caller right now. Radmila Cody, a name many of us are familiar with. She's a Diné singer, songwriter, as well as a model, and raises awareness to fight against domestic abuse and violence. She's a Grammy nominee and multiple Native American Music Awards winner. Radmila, thanks for calling in today. Oh my God, this is an honor. <laughs> Aww. It's good to hear your voice. It's good to just be sharing this this uh, space with you over the phone and uh, <laughs> to hear. Yeah, awesome. Good to. It's yeah. I, I need to. I'm trying to not get too nervous because the last time I saw you, I was I was 
feeling the same way. I was like, oh, God, love you, Saint Marie. <laughs> <laughs> I felt the same way, Radmilla. Radmilla, what is that? I mean, what is Buffy's music and her career and just everything about her mission and just her vision? What does it mean to you? Oh man, it's it, it, not just me, but to to just native country in general. Uh, you know, your work has focused so much on issues facing indigenous peoples and, um, you know, the social environmental activism linked to that. And, and you've just really been, uh, indeed, a trailblazer for, for many of us who um, you've created and opened those opportunities in that path for. So I, I'm very, very grateful to you for that. I remember that the, the first time I met you, I, it was years back at the um, film festival in the native, the American Indian Film Festival in San Francisco. And you had done a performance, and I believe they had given you an award there. But I was just so excited and nervous about meeting you, and 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 then I remember saying to you. I'm going to be just like you, Buffy. <laughs> just like you. And and you you had a smile on your face and you said, uh, "Well, good luck, Red Villa." <laughs> and I and I remember thinking to myself in that moment, like, "Well, she's right, right? Like you're right about that because there's you just there's so much that you have done in your career." And, um, and there's no, I, I can't be like Buffy. I can't be like you even, and even Whitney Houston, because I love and adored with you, you know, adore Whitney Houston. And so, um, so I think in that moment, I remember just feeling, uh, feeling even more inspired by you because you made me realize in that moment that, that I needed to, to, to focus on creating a path of my own. And, and so, um, so thank you for that. Thank you for that moment. Um, and, and I appreciate, again, everything that you, you have done and continue to do for, you know, Indigenous peoples and just being a good relative, you know, on so many levels in that way. And, and for our land, for not human relatives, you know, just, you know, for our, our life ways, you know, it, it, it just, it, this goes way back, you know, during an era where, um, so much, so much uh, injustice was was placed, you know, on Black Indigenous people and in Indigenous people. And so, there's a photo that I love, I absolutely love, where you're sitting at a piano next to um, ah, what, um, to Muhammad Ali, and it's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite images of you. And um, and I always wondered what that moment was like for you to what, what 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 conversation took place in that moment it was Muhammad Ali and I there were some other other individuals that were there uh, as well but um I always wondered what what what, what that moment was like for you pretty wonderful Muhammad Ali was a friend of mine and very kind to me he used to come to my shows and sit way in the back and then we'd go for walks this was in Washington DC we'd go walking around at night after the show um and uh, uh I could say a lot about him he's wonderful in that picture also if I recall is Dick Gregory he came to my reserve 
And he told me in the airplane on the way home, he was crying and he, he said that he thought that he had seen inequity, but he had never seen anything like what he saw in Saskatoon, you know. Um, also in the picture was Richie Havens, David Amram, uh, Stevie Wonder, <laughs> Marlon Brando. Yeah, it's a really nice picture. It's a famous picture. Muhammad Ali and Ken Norton, uh, the picture was taken. Um, they had volunteered to do a 14-round exhibition bout in Washington, D.C. for the longest walk. So that's why that picture was taken. Uh, it that's what it was around. Um, and Sheldon Wolfchild and his brother, um, Ernie Peters, Long Walker, uh, and uh, uh, members of the American Indian Movement um, set up the longest walk, and that was the culmination. But I loved what you said. Uh, thank you so much for mentioning that you thought that I had inspired you to walk your own way, because I wrote a song. My first album was called It's My Way, and it means it's my path. It's my dream. It's my um my, it's what I embrace. It's my responsibility that I love. You know, it's my way. But a lot of people thought they got it confused with the Paul Anka song that Frank Sinatra sang. I'm doing my way. God damn it. My way. Right. So, no, no, it's not like that. It's an indigenous approach, not my way. It's it's my way. <laughs> it's my path. And I'm so glad that you got it. <laughs> thank you, Redmilla. <laughs> Redmilla, thank you for calling in today. Really appreciate uh, your kind words for Buffy. And Buffy, it's interesting because you have the ability to just, and I read an article and they said that you were quoted as saying, I can turn any song into a peace song. I mean, the most hardcore song, doesn't matter what it is. And, and like you even recorded that theme song from the Sopranos, didn't you? And, and turned it into like a whole different theme. I did, yeah. The theme song from The Sopranos, woke up this morning, got yourself a gun, right? That was written by a wonderful group of guys called Alabama Three, who are British, and there were seven of them. I don't know why they called Alabama Three, but they wrote another song called Power in the Blood. And there have been many songs called Power in the Blood. A lot of them are, are Christian religious songs, but their Power in the Blood was all about um, uh, swords and, and, and blood and, and violence. And I just loved the song. So I, I got in touch with them and I said, uh, uh, they were fans of mine, and I was at a concert in London, and I had never met them, and they came in, and their lead singer was walking on his knees, and making a big deal out of it, so we had a lot of fun, we stayed up all night with them, my all-Indigenous band from Winnipeg was with me at the time, we spent all night at their studio, and I told them I wanted to turn Power in the Blood into a peace song, and they just laughed and laughed, but they loved it, I did, I turned it into instead of saying um and when that and when that call it comes i will i will be ready for war that's what alabama 3 had said and i said and when that call it comes i will say no 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 to war and i i just kind of rearranged the lyrics a little bit so yeah you can do that you can do that Buffy, I've also heard you lament the the fact that we don't have a lot of great peace songs anymore in, in music. And you hear so many criticisms of, of pop music and nowadays that, oh, it's just so commercialized and there's no message, there's no feeling behind it. And and what what are your thoughts on contemporary music? And Listen to hip hop and rap. I, I mean, you hear a lot of protests going on and uh, indigenous rap and hip hop as well. So there is, it's not... It's not as though it's not there. I mean, a lot of people don't know the songs of Phil Oaks. 
uh, who was a great protest songwriter, or Tom Paxton. And, you know, in the 60s, Bob Dylan, Joan Pius, Judy Collins, the ones who had real powerful management, like Albert Grossman and David Geffen, you know, Joni Mitchell's manager, everybody heard about what they were doing. But just like indigenous music right now, um, not everything is being heard. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that we're just not hearing yet. I mean, there's an awful lot about indigenous life that most of the world is not hearing about. We were talking a little bit earlier about the uh, National Indian Youth Council and in, in the 60s, when I was riding around in a car with Clyde Warrior and Mel Tom guys, I mean, you'd look out the window in Ponca City, uh, Ponca City, Oklahoma, and you'd see, you know, house for rent, no Indians. You'd see, um, um, you know, Help wanted. Indians need not apply. It was like a joke. We went to uh, a truck stop, uh, you know, where they serve lunch and stuff. They gave us picnic ware, you know, plastic spoons and forks. Everybody else had real stuff. So that kind of racism, <laughs> you know, if you don't live in Ponca City, Oklahoma. I mean, if you're a New York City person, you probably don't know about it. So I guess what I'm saying is that in the indigenous world, there's an awful lot going on that uh, that is really, really good, or sometimes really, really bad, that the rest of the world, including us on in other locations, are not hearing about. But, you know, with Native America calling and ICT, and, you know, it, times are different now. And it's good. It's good. We're more in touch now. It's easier to be in touch and to share our information. But that's all I was doing. See, I was lucky enough to have airplane tickets, to eventually have a little bit of fame, to have a concert stage, to be on television where you can actually debate a congressman and tell him <laughs> words that I can't say. <laughs> um, um, things are much better now. Uh, but I, I had, I had um, a platform earlier than most people. So I was able to, what they taught me and what I was able to glean from them and then represent, re-represent to a public that they couldn't reach. That's what I was trying to do. Because we'd go to uh, AIM rallies or something else. We were trying to spotlight an issue that um, wasn't being heard. And, you know, so often you can't get any space in, in the public forum unless you're angry and have a gun. But there were so many people working in communities to make things better and 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 still are you know we we always have to remember that indian country is not what we're seeing in the global headlines right all right buffy we've got another caller jeremy dutcher he is a first nations composer musicologist performer and activist jeremy thank you for calling in hi hi Tanse, buffy hey how's it Nice to hear your voice, my friend. And it's always an education when uh, when I get to 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 hear your words and and to to know your story a little better. Um, thank you for sharing it today. Thanks for calling in, Jeremy and I, and a whole lot of other Indigenous artists just participated in something in Ottawa called the Starwalker concert. And there's a there's a geo block on it, so Americans can't find it at the moment. I hope it's going to become public because Jeremy, you just were so wonderful. Oh gosh, the way you did my songs, just beautiful. Thank you. Share that with the world, that one, because that was such a special gathering of all these different artists that came together to to honor you and your songs, and it was such a such a treat to be part of uh, of that gathering. 
Um, I, I really just want to, I don't want to take too much time. I just want to bring gratitude um, for you as, as, a, as an artistic North Star, uh, for us all, uh, but for me personally. And um, um, I guess, you know, what, what I, I, I take so much from you um, and your philosophies, um, both politically, you know, your activism, how you, um, uh, musically, the way you write songs. Um, but, but one thing I always really reflect on that I've heard you speak about is, is that music needs to be play. It needs to be about play. And I think that's something I always try to insert into any musical context I enter is that we're here to have a nice time and explore and, and, and communicate with each other. And, and, and I feel, especially coming from the world of classical music, like a lot of musicians have lost that. And so I, I just want to bring gratitude for, for that particular philosophy that, that you've allowed to illuminate in my life. And, and I try to bring it everywhere I go, is that we're here to play. Like, let's have fun. Uh, let's have a good time because music is 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 so beautiful. Uh, if I had a question, I might just want to ask you. I've also heard you talk about every thirty years, um, in this kind of cycle, that war racket that we're kind of stuck in right now. Um, I, I I wonder where we are right now in that, and, and how we're gonna get out, and 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 how we can foster those good relations because we're in a really critical moment it feels like i just want to hear you talk more so thank you so much i just love you take good care <laughs> okay, <laughs> what's your thought on that he mentions every 30 years and just the current well, state of chaos it's true it's it's true of indigenous things too like i feel as though right now we're kind of having a moment you know, there are a lot of indigenous actors and actresses and directors and all who are having a moment on television and documentaries, you know, res talks and <laughs> oh, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, and I don't get too excited about it because I've seen it before. I mean, it's like every now and then somebody comes out with a big Indian movie and the and the fashion magazines all start sticking feathers in blonde pigtails and, you know, uh, silliness. But um, then it goes away. Um, you know, there was um, Cheyenne Autumn and, and then there was a, a, a little big man and dances with wolves and, you know, there's a whole lot of them. And but then it goes away. Uh, so uh, I hope that uh, everybody's paying attention and is going to try to maintain and not let uh, slip back into a lack of consciousness. The points that many, many people are making now about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, about residential schools, about um, uh, applauding our heroes. I mean, there's so much um, that um, that's going on right now, but it can sink back into um obscurity the same thing and what jeremy was really referring to i think was my comment that uh like in i wrote a song called the war racket it says you know um that's how it's done about every 30 years the rich fill their bank accounts the poor fill with tears the young fill the coffins the old hang a wreath the politicians get photographed with their names underneath it's like every now and then we have a big war Money changes hand. It's a big money laundering thing. Everybody gets into it, right? A whole lot of poor people and unlucky people and unfortunate people and civilian people and guys who enlisted and maybe shouldn't have people, they get dead, you know? 
but a whole lot of people get rich. And then, oh, this is the war that will put an end to all wars. They said that about World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, there's not going to be another war. Well, war makes a whole lot of money for a whole lot of people. And so we seem to go, Jeremy was saying, you know, he was reflecting, we seem to go um, forward and then they pretend that it's over. And then after a while, here it comes again, the same old thing. And um, all I know about, I mean, I have no great wisdom of how to make it stop. Um, you know, people will sometimes say something that I object to. They say, oh, Buffy, you're such a warrior for peace. And I'm not. I know what a warrior is. You know, I have respect for our veterans and our real soldiers, but I am not a warrior. Excuse me. I'm a girl with a guitar, right? I'm a writer. <laughs> okay. I'm an artist. Buffy, I'm we... not a warrior. <laughs> We've and, got to take a, a, a short break. There's a difference. Yeah, but appreciate everything you say, all your words of wisdom. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I want to ask you about my favorite one of your songs ever. Close to half of American adults have high blood pressure. Of those, about 75% don't have it controlled. Chief Medical Officer at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, Dr. Luke John Day. Have your blood pressure measured yearly by a healthcare professional and regularly monitored at home. The American Heart Association has developed the Get Down With Your Blood Pressure campaign using music and dance. Learn more at heart.org slash HBP control. They support this show. This is a special pre-recorded episode of Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Buffy St. Marie today. She's a Cree singer, songwriter, activist, and artist. She's joining us from her home in Hawaii. We're not taking callers this hour, but you can still join our online discussion. How has Buffy's music influenced you? What's your favorite Buffy St. Marie song? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Native America Calling. We're also on Twitter at 180099Native. And we've got a caller right now, Jer. Uh, he is a singer from Cochiti Pueblo, lead singer for the Jer Project Band and founder of the Native Guitars Tour. Hello, Jir. Thanks you for joining us. Let's see, Hopa. Hi. How's, how are you doing? How's everybody doing out there? Good. We're doing great, Jir. We're doing great. Uh, isn't it great to have Buffy on the show today? Yes, yes. And, and it's such an honor to be, you know, um, on the airwaves and the same vibrations as Buffy. She's been such an inspiration, mentor, teacher, you know, matriarch. It just, uh, it's, it's a great moment right now for me. Thank you. Jer, how does that, how has Buffy's music inspired your career? Wow. You know, I, I think it's kind of ironic. I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the studio right now recording some new songs and the tracks I'm working on. It was lurking. Uh, Buffy St. Marie on, on TV, you know, and just that voice and always correcting the narrative of what was happening, you know, always educating, not just, you know, our, our inner uh, nations, but, you know, the world on, on the correct narrative of who we are as Native people. So, you know, as I, as I put music together, you know, it inspires me into giving me that, open that door for me to you know, just explore that with pride and, um, you know, continue that to educate, you know, people of what the correct narrative is. 
So yeah, just just so many so many ways that you know Buffy has inspired you know our people and and just the world you know with with her messages and with her songs and um, you know just that voice you know there's that vibrato in her voice that strength that you know our matriarchs have so that's 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 a short little um, a bit of inspiration that <laughs> continuing on through some writing. Jared, thanks for joining us today, calling in with those warm words for Buffy. And, and, and Buffy, before break, I said I want to talk about my favorite one of your songs ever, Darling Don't Cry, hands down, <laughs> my favorite Buffy St. Marie song. Tell me the story behind it. Oh, well, I must I must begin by saying that song really started with Edmund Bull and his mother. That was their song. Uh, they're from Little Pine in Saskatchewan. And uh, Edmund Bull is the lead singer for the world champion round dance group Red Bull. And uh, they are very, very much loved <laughs> um, drum group. And uh, so I loved their song, Darling, Don't Cry When I Leave the USA. If you like, I'll take you home when I go back to Canada. Yeah, I was so nice. And so I had, uh, I just had this song of my own going through my head and it just kind of worked together. So I got in touch with Edmund, who I already knew. Uh, and I said, yeah, can we turn this into a song? And I explained a little bit about publishing to him, you know, because um, uh, uh, <laughs> it's always bothered me that, you know, after we started the music of Aboriginal Canada category, for the Junos, which is like the Grammys in Canada, you know, all these all these guys from Toronto show up with their recording equipment along some powwow groups, and you know, how would you like to make a cassette or a little bit later a CD? Oh my God, <laughs> we're going to be stars, right? And then these businessmen just take the publishing, and you never hear from them again. So, um, uh, "Darling, Don't Cry" uh, is a co-write between me and Edmund Bull, um, and it's just about. Uh, you know, I travel a lot and I go to European countries, you know, I had an all Aboriginal band for a while and we'd go someplace like in Europe or Australia or somewhere where they had never been to a powwow <laughs> and darling, <laughs> don't cry. It's just so, it's the real deal, you know, and, yeah, it is. um, people all over the world, they get this phoning, um, uh, combination of stuff that they associate with Indians and, you know, it's all it's not even true and it's shallow and it's not really real or about anybody it's just kind of a hollywood package but darling don't cry and i really wanted to give at least my listeners the opportunity to hear the real deal so red bull sing on the um sing on it with me and oh and there's a video you can find the video at my website and uh uh you can see red bull they're singing in the video in, in parts of the video Okay. So I have, yeah, I people that. like it. I like it too. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is just an all-time classic. And Buffy, I mean, one thing we can't not uh, forget to talk about today is you're, in addition to being this songwriter and singer and activist, you're also a writer and you've got a couple of books uh, behind you right now, a children's book and some other books. So tell us more. Oh, well, um, my first kid's book, I based on a song that I used to sing to my pets when I'd bring them back from the shelter. It's called Hey, Hey, Little Rockabye, and it's about pet adoption. And then this one is a full-length chapter book for kids, and it's called Topway and the Magic Hat. And it's about a little kid who goes to spend uh, the summer uh, with relatives on 
uh, a reserve across the valley. And, you know, of course, he gets to sleep in a teepee and go to a powwow. But basically what he gets, he gets into trouble with, you know, kind of uh, bad, bad company and bad heroes. So it's about being betrayed and self-betrayal and how you come back from that. So it's about peer pressure and bullying and things like that, but it's all wrapped into a little Riz story. And then this one just made the New York Times top 10 list for children's books. <laughs> and it's called Still This Love Goes On and My Words. And Julie Flett, who's um, half indigenous, she did the illustrations for this. So it, it's really beautiful. It's a wonderful book. Um you know, I don't have time to show you the whole thing, but it, it really captures the isolation, but also the majesty of life on a remote reserve, you know, missing your relatives and coming home. So that one's called Still This Love Goes On. So I got three kids books out right now. Now, Buffy, the, the pet adoption, that's an issue that's very close to your heart. And I, I think we might have even played, uh, you have a song that's related to that. I think we played it during the break. Tell us more. Well, that's the that's what this little book is based on. And in the back of the book, if you can read music, which I cannot, <laughs> but music <laughs> teachers will be able to read it. So um, this Hey Little Rockabye is based on this song that I used to sing my pets when I when I would bring them home. And we also turned it into a book. It, and it almost feels like me, you know, as an adopted person. Yeah, I'm adopted. So I kind of I kind of relate to my pets when I take when I bring them into my life. And at one point, this song says, were you let's see. Um, uh, you didn't get no choice and you didn't get no vote when they dropped you off at the shelter. All you had was your little fur coat. And now you get somebody loves you. Hey, hey, little rockabye. Hey, hey, little darling. <laughs> I guess we all feel like that, you know. All we have is our all we have is the skin we're in sometimes. Yeah, I can relate to that. Me and my daughter, we just uh, became foster parents for a cat at our local humane society. So we're taking care of a cat. We're helping it. It has an upper respiratory tract infection. So we've got it for two weeks to get it back in order. So can really appreciate all your passion for, for animals and, and pets and everything. So Buffy, I mean, you just never stop. Do you still tour frequently? I'm trying not to because I got stuck in that awful mess. I was stuck. For, I was abandoned by two airlines and dumped in Denver Airport. I mean, it was a nightmare <laughs> for three days. It was crazy. Yeah, I know the airlines have uh, broken right now, so I'm trying not to travel. They're trying to get me to go in November, December to this big thing happening in Canada, and I might go or I might not. But I'm trying not to fly right now. There's just mm. too much that can go wrong. I'm trying and to stay in, home, which I love. <laughs> in Hawaii, do you have a lot of friends there in Hawaii that you hang out with? And and just tell me a little bit about just your daily life there living on the islands. No, I don't have a lot of friends. I only have a few friends. You know, being being an entertainer on the road, you know, I'm just sometimes I just not I'm not here all the time. You know, I can't, you know, go over the house on Thursday nights and then you come over our house on Thursday nights. It's not my kind of life, you know, I, and I've never been, I've never worked in an office, so I don't have that kind of weekday. Then there's the weekends, you know, I'm always gone. So no, I don't have a lot of friends here. <laughs> I've had up to 33 goats and a horse at the same time <laughs> and two dogs and two cats. And right now I have two kitties, one goat and my sweetheart and a whole lot of wild pigs and chickens and parrots and, and and songbirds everywhere so yeah i get a lot of animals and i think it's partly what keeps me healthy 
-huh. and wanting to live another day. I really love living and I'm very curious about life. And I really think that the time that you sit your butt down on the actual ground, that you interact in the forest among green things, you know, and that you actually interact with other species from yourself. I just think it is so enriching. It just keeps me alive. I also work out neat real good. Oh, good. <laughs> and your son, Cody, he's your neighbor. Is that right? Yep. He lives in my back 40 in his own house and he's online a lot. Yeah. He makes his own music and, um, but we don't, we don't play together. <laughs> we play separately. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of your music, I mean, your career, it spanned uh, decades. And, and how do you think you've evolved a, a, as a singer and as a songwriter over the years? What's different about the music that Buffy St. Marie records and performs today as opposed to, you know, in the 70s or even the 60s? Um, well, mostly, well, now I'm in charge. I mean, in the 60s, you walked in and, you know, you were singing in a big room with a bunch of strange men that you never saw before that you'll never see again. And they're totally in charge of the way the record comes out. So it's have to be anything. And I was, I really thought my albums could have been a lot better uh, and, and could have been more effective. Uh, so over the years, uh, you know, I got into electronic music and computers real early. So, and I started recording uh, uh, um, soundtracks for movies using computers and uh, you know, Fairlight, Sinclair, and eventually Macintoshes. So really what it does, it gives you the control of making things come out the way that you intend. And you, you, can, you can work on them forever. There's not, you know, a clock and a bank involved. <laughs> and mostly you get to call the shots. And that's why Power in the Blood is so good. You know, Power in the Blood is a good album. And, you know, um, when you're in control of yourself, it comes out the way that you want it. It might not sell a gazillion, but it's the way you wanted it and it's sure worth doing as an artist. We hear so much about musical styles and, and I, you know, it's like reviewers and, and experts always trying to kind of pigeonhole artists into these categories. And if, if you were to describe your style, is, is it as simple as saying it's folk or it's indigenous? How, how would you describe your own music, Buffy? No, I'm a songwriter and it's really diverse. Uh, when I, you know, when you go to sleep at night, you don't know if you're going to dream, let alone what you're going to dream about. <laughs> be anything. You could be dreaming about Venus and Mars or, or China and Tibet or, you know, you could be dreaming about anything. And I, that's the way songs are for me. So I, I've had hits as country songs. Um, uh, you know, Kanye West and Young Thugs have recorded my songs. Um, I have. I, uh, until it's time for you to go has been recorded 157 times by just about any artist you can think about. Uh, <laughs> and I write a lot of songs that are purely indigenous and some that are really strong, very well thought out about, about the entire world, like Universal Soldier, you know, where it's really made to make sense, common sense. So I haven't really changed much, uh, except that I have my own studio for quite a long time. So that's why my later records are a little bit better than the earlier ones that did get a lot of attention, but I always thought could have been better. Well, you had this vision uh, from an, from a young age and you carried it through, you went all the way as far as you can go. And I think that we have so many young indigenous people that are listening on air now, or they hear your songs or they watch you on movies and documentaries and television. And how do you instill that? How do we, how do we, transfer that energy and that passion that you have to our younger our younger native people today oh i think we're doing it i think i've been doing it all along in my life from either songwriting or sesame street or activism or something but there are people in every community who are doing 
you know, their own thing in their own way. And that's what I do. I just do my own thing in my own way. Um, and I didn't drink the Kool-Aid that um, the colonials were trying to um, bathe us in, you know. Uh, I just never drank that. I just never believed. Um, I mean, my mom, when I was a kid, she told me not to believe in like the Indian movies that we were seeing. She made me aware that there's a, a whole crock out there that is just kind of in one ear and out the other. And then there's the reality that you can find out about. Like, I don't think a lot of, I would love to talk to young people about how it was, you know, we mentioned the National Indian Youth Council. And when I would ride around with them, all of those signs that we were, were you know, all those racist things that we have to appreciate the fact that our people have already done a whole lot to make things better. And it wasn't just celebrities like me that you see on Sesame Street. It was everybody else, you know, who were informing me and I was informing them. And, you know, we were, it's, we're all, we, we all do our part. But for me, it's always based in the fact that I just plain want to. If you don't want to, don't worry about it. Do something else. But if you do want to, there's a lot, there's a lot of indigenous people who came before us you know, this is not new. We've been, this resistance has been very, very necessary and carried on for 500 years. If we had a very long time to talk, you know, I'd fill you in on some real hair raising things that <laughs> are still going on and that go way, way back. But, um, you know, there's only so much column space. There's only so much time, but there's a lot of information out there. And if you love to learn, then go get it and turn it into whatever it is that will address the issue for the people that you are reaching. And they're all different. That is so true. There's only so much time. And unfortunately, our time with Buffy St. Marie is winding down. And Buffy, I'm glad you mentioned Sesame Street, because that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. But unfortunately, we just don't have enough time to talk about so many things that you have going on so much in your career. And I feel like you're just getting started in so many ways with just so many new projects and just so much innovation. And I just, again, it's just been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Uh, Buffy St. Marie, the legend, the icon here on Native America Calling. She's joined us today uh, from Hawaii. Just a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Uh, folks, I, I want to wish you all well and I uh, hope you enjoyed this show. We do have to sign off now. This is Sean Spruce with Native America Calling. And again, big thanks to Buffy St. Marie. What if someone said you owe money to the IRS and have to pay with a gift card? What if they ask for a gift card so you can avoid arrest, help a family member, or keep your social security benefits? No real business or government agency will ever tell you to pay with a gift card. Anyone who does is a scammer. Gift cards are for gifts, not for paying someone. If anyone tells you to pay with a gift card, tell the Federal Trade Commission, the nation's consumer protection agency, at reportfraud.ftc.gov. Support by the Federal Trade Commission. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreement CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American